In three, and two, and one. Hi, everybody. Tim Anderson here, the Appraiser's Advocate. Thank you for being with me today. I appreciate it. I appreciate your time and your trouble. We call this one today the Cost Approach and EasePAP. Historically, the Cost Approach has not been all that popular with appraisers. Some claim it does not reflect how buyers and sellers interact in a typical market. Frankly, this is not true, and toward the end of this podcast, we'll take a closer look at this to explain why it's not true. But right now, we consider four myths about the cost approach and bust them all. We are also going to take a look at the benefits to you of using the cost approach in each residential single-family house you appraise. What's the first myth about the cost approach we're going to bust? That it's hard to calculate accrued depreciation. This is an easy myth to bust. On page 571 of the 15th edition of the appraisal of real estate is the secret. Since I just told you where it was, it's really not a secret, is it? Consider the ramifications of that statement. Anyway, on this page is the mathematical formula for accrued depreciation. It's simple. Effective age divided by total economic life equals accrued depreciation. Really, that's it. How hard is that? Accrued depreciation is the total of all three depreciation factors. Since it is a total, it means depreciation from all sources. This means physical and functional depreciation, as well as external obsolescence. A word of advice here. Age-life depreciation includes whatever external obsolescence factors there are. Therefore, in the narrative of your report, don't say there was no external obsolescence noted. If you're using age-life depreciation, you're noting external obsolescence because it's built in. You ask how to calculate effective age? In a short podcast such as this one, there is no time to go into the details. But there are plenty of podcasts out there to coach you on this procedure. But the point is, accrued depreciation is not hard to calculate. Second on the myth list is the one about buyers and sellers. That buyers and sellers do not use this approach as part of their negotiations. To be fair, in one sense this is true, but in negotiations, costs may be important. For example, the seller says they just put a new roof on the house at a cost of $25,000. Such a new roof, therefore, justifies a higher than typical sales price. The buyer then asks, what other maintenance has the seller deferred? And what will be the costs to bring those items up to speed? So, yes, buyers and sellers may not use the cost approach as builders and appraisers do, true. But it is a myth, easily busted, that they don't use the cost approach, at least one part of it, as part of their purchase and sale negotiations. Myth number three is that cost has nothing to do with market value. On the contrary, it has everything to do with market value. And the reasoning behind this is simple. Will it cost $600,000 to build a particular house? And what if the market will bear only $400,000? It is this comparison of cost versus value that answers the question. To massively misquote Shakespeare, to build or not to build, that is the question. And appraisers are uniquely qualified to answer it. All other things being equal, what will a rational person do? A rational person will not spend $600,000 to build a $400,000 house. 
and the rational appraiser will provide that explanation to the client who is asking the cost versus value question. So, you can see the cost approach is not only a component of market value, but it's also a strong component of the final value conclusion. Number four in the cost approach myth parade is that this approach has no relevance to the appraiser. This is basically just an excuse not to use this approach, which in and of itself is a tacit admission appraisers have never learned to use the cost approach properly. Appraisers adopt this reasoning, this self-protective reasoning, when they do not understand the logical base for using the cost approach. Its logical base is, again, one of comparison. And what if the values via the cost approach and the sales comparison approach do not approximate each other? Simple. One of them is wrong. How so, you ask? Both measure the same components. These are the vacant site value and the contributory value of the improvements. Therefore, they should approximate each other closely. If they don't, first check for math errors. Assuming there are none, then check your adjustments in the sales comparison approach. What if the sales comparison approach is too high relative to the cost approach? You might want to rethink your adjustments, but at a lower rate. More than likely is that your cost approach will come in higher than your sales comparison approach. If this is true, if this is the case, is your site value component too high? Are your reproduction costs per square foot too high? Is your estimate of accrued depreciation too low? Is the contributory value of your site improvements too high? Chances are, all other things being equal, your site value is too high or your accrued depreciation estimate, thus your effective age estimate, is too low and, frankly, maybe both. As you already know, the cost approach demands a separate site value. This proves if the site value component in the sales comparison approach is market-oriented. It also demands an estimate of effective age. One of the functions of the cost approach is to extract effective age from the market. This is the check and balance on the age and condition adjustment in your sales comparison approach. My creative diddling worksheet, available for sale on my website, helps you to extract all sorts of information from comparable improved sales. Please take a look at it. I think you'll find it helps. It's time to dispel another myth. That being, the cost approach does not exist independently of the sales comparison approach. It does not exist to support the sales comparison approach. Those two approaches exist mutually to function as checks and balances on the other. It is in this capacity, and for these reasons, we engage in the protocols of both. This is what USPAP means by a, quote, credible value opinion, unquote. Our value opinion is worthy of belief because our scope of work is complete, thus worthy of belief. Our scope of work is complete since we engaged in the two primary approaches to value, then use them to compare to each other as a check and balance. In this podcast, we looked at and then dispelled some myths regarding the cost approach. As a protocol to conclude market value, the cost approach is not particularly well-suited. It is well-suited, however, as an analytical tool. 
in that capacity, it functions well as a check on how reasonable the value is via the sales comparison approach. We've also learned that much of what appraisers believe about the cost approach is merely myth. Therefore, we appraisers have the opportunity to master the cost approach. As we do, we become better appraisers. As such, we give the public reason to trust us, what we do, and how we do it. When the public trusts us, they order appraisals from us. When we give the public reason to trust us, we promote and maintain a high level of public trust in appraisal, appraisers, all we do, and how we do it. When the public orders appraisals from us, they don't order AVMs or BPOs. Now, that's a pleasant thought, right? Thanks for listening. I'm Tim Anderson, the Appraiser's Advocate. If I can ever be of help to you, please get in touch with me. Tim at theappraisersadvocate.com. It will be an honor to know you and a pleasure to work with you. Please let me extend my best to you and your families. And before we go, let me ask you one last question. Are your professional fees professional enough? Thank you. And now we are clear.